What's up, everybody? My name is James D. Fiore, and this is Blackballed. Okay, anything could happen today. I'm just going to throw that out there first. Um, initially, what I wanted to do was uh, Gerald Shapur, former Prime Minister Harper attorney and the former general counsel for the Conservative Party of Canada. Also, he's the connecting tissue, I like to call him, uh, between the conservative government or the conservative party at least and the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church. He's a lawyer for the cult, the PBCC. And he is also, uh, you know, obviously an insider when it comes to conservatives uh, in Canada. Um, So he has been in the news because he went on a trade mission with uh, lame duck premier of Alberta, Jason Kenney, Jason Kenney, um, has decided that with two months left in his reign that he was going to go on a uh, on a walkabout to South Korea as a lame duck premier. And he decided to bring Gerald Shapur along with him, to which I said, okay, um, let's do a show about Gerald Shapur. We've mentioned him before. I've had these two guests on before as well. Uh, their names are Richard Marsh and David Wallace. And they have been on Blackball several times. Richard, how are you, buddy? I'm going to see if I can find um, David here. Here's David. I just want to say off the bat, just for people watching or listening or saw my tweet, Vinny Paz is in the building. We're just trying to get his uh, tech to work. So he's here. Let's see if we if he can hear us this time. Vinny, are you there? Not yet. He's trying. I'm going to... Uh, Vinny, if you can hear me, I'm going to remove you again, and then you're going to click the link again because I'm not sure what's happening, but we cannot hear you at all, brother, so I think you have a settings issue. So there you go. Okay. Um, David, Richard, welcome to the show, guys. How are you? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> okay. Just just to get it all out of the way from the beginning, I think my mic's a little hot here. Um, David... You were hired by Jerry Shapur. This is something we've already said, so I don't want to belabor the point too much, but I do want to talk about that and a couple other things. You were basically hired by Gerald Shapur and company, let's put it that way, uh, to find Richard Marsh and eventually hand them over, hand him over to the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, correct? That is correct. Can you tell us why I have Vinny Paz on the show today, former boxing champion, <laughs> so that people aren't completely confused? Not that they uh, would be anyways. Well, Vinny's a friend of mine of... Uh always been a, a big boxing fan and uh, I used to make the trip to Rhode Island or Foxwoods resorts or Atlantic city and watch any fight. Uh, so we developed a friendship and um, Brad Mitchell, who the Klondike papers, his company, Klondike lubricants, the Klondike papers uh, take their name from that business. Uh, Brad Mitchell requested of myself that, uh, he had some accounts which were messy in the United States and he wanted me to collect the money. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, this was during 
Mitchell's uh, um, foray into PPE equipment sales. He had sold gloves and uh, other paraphernalia to a distributor. Either he, no, he bought them. That's right, too. He bought these gloves from a distributor and he claims the distributor ripped them off. So Mr. Mitchell wanted me um, to go down and have a uh, conversation with these people. And then he suggested perhaps uh, we could send uh, somebody uh, who liked to ride motorcycles instead of a whole bunch of them. So he had me uh, contact my friend Vinny, who was uh, very close friends with a gentleman named Chuck Zito, who was the lead the sergeant at arms for the Hells Angels at one point. And uh, well, we hooked up Mr. Zito and Vinny with uh, Mr. Mitchell from the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church. The Tasmanian yeah. devil and one of the hell's angels were conversing with one of God's soldiers, I guess. Well, what does it mean? Uh, invoice for V gloves. I, I listen, I, I just got the document. I, I didn't have time to redact some of the stuff, so I'm just going to read it. I do have it. It's from Kevin Mitchell. Is that his brother, Brad, or son? Nephew, I guess. Nephew. Yeah. Uh, you've okay. got the wrong document on the screen. Uh, no, I know, I know, I do. I, I don't have yeah. the actual document uh, that I'm not going to put on this. There yeah, shouldn't yeah. be any document on the screen right now, but okay, maybe yeah. same. Uh, that's it. Yeah. Okay, um, but the document that I'm reading is from Kevin Mitchell. It's to David Wallace, uh, and it's also to Brad Mitchell. Uh, this is the Ox Tools email. This is what you're talking about, yeah. isn't it, David? Yes, correct, absolutely. Okay, are, is are, is it in code? Or are they really after gloves? Well, because apparently then, Mitchell had paid for them and this guy stiffed him. That was his story. But uh, uh, since Mitchell would rather climb a tree and tell a lie than, you know, stand on the ground and tell the truth, I don't know what to believe. It's probably somebody else he was playing games with, but who knows? So is this like a dog, the bounty hunter kind of situation? And is that legal? I'm just curious. I'm guessing it's highly illegal, but I could be wrong. Okay. Maybe you need a, a TV producer or a TV show in order for it to be legal in, in the United States of America. Hmm. Um. It just gets like more bizarre though. Like this entire thing, like, like is Gary Coleman going to come back from the dead and make a cameo appearance in this story? Because it is pretty. Oh, so I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, Richard, Gary Coleman was a uh, child star who, who was in this show called different strokes. Just, okay. Sorry. We I'll always have to explain up. pop culture references to Richard because he was in a cult. Oh, so. the hierarchy of this Plymouth Brethren church. It's definitely different strokes. I think it's apropos. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So just just so, to make the connection here, um, yeah, Brad, Brad Mitchell is involved with various businesses. His own business is Klondike Lubricants. But in this case, he's using his Ox Tools, wearing his Ox Tools hat. He's the CEO of Ox Tools Canada, where Ox Tools is a company owned and founded by Dean Hales, who's son of Bruce Hales, the, the so-called man of God or Mog. So this guy is kind of the crown prince of the Plymouth Brethren. He's expected to succeed his father when his father pops his clogs. Um, and he's a mega multi-billionaire businessman. And uh, Brad, when the pandemic came along, a, lo a lot of Brethren businesses connected with the Hales family leapt into the PPE um, market. Uh, usually with the assistance of conservative governments who gave them generous contracts. So Ox Tools, who supplies hammers and saws, suddenly found itself in the business of trying to provide 
um, masks and gloves. And this particular invoice involves an order for half a million, half a million dollars worth of nitrile exam gloves from a company in Texas, which Brad Mitchell had paid for, but not received. And then he's very urgently wanting to get his money back. Oh, poor little Brad guy got ripped yeah. off. Go figure. Yeah. <laughs> so Vinny Paz is there again, but can you hear us? Vinny, can you? Can we hear you? Are you there? Vinny, maybe you can get your girl to check the settings on your camera. Maybe use her phone. Is there a millennial near you, Vinny? <laughs> Find a millennial. They will help you with your phone. So that was a Hales guy you had on screen early. Boy, those guys don't miss many meals, do they? No. No, they don't. They don't. Um, okay. Now, there's text messages that I want to show, too. But I need, like, to figure out... Um, exactly what I'm looking at here. So is this the first one or is this the first one? No, is this the first one? No, it's this one. This is the first one. Okay. This is between Alan Holman and you, correct, David? Uh, I believe so. Okay. An invoice. This is Alan Holman. And Alan Holman is, who is he again? He's a political fixer. Uh, he's, or a drunken, he's, a, he's a drunken axe man for a bunch of goons in Alberta. Okay. Basically, don't well, give him the dignity of calling him a fixer. He's an alcoholic loser. Okay. This is where I have to be. Um, That's all personal opinion and, and certainly do not reflect the views of the Black Bolt Media or Dean Blundell Network. Just my I own personal I opinion. I think I'm supposed to say that part. Just I know. I just said it for you. And Alan, I'm, I'm available. Send your lawyer to sue me if you don't like it, if, you, oh, if you're right. sober enough to hear it. These are the opinions of one David Wallace. And it, absolutely. They are my opinions. Blackballed or its subsidiaries of which. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Okay. An invoice I made for you to sign and get back to me. Then I can send you the remainder. I'm in Edmonton for the night and having dinner with Jerry to ensure all the power work is getting done. What is he talking about? Um... What was the context to? The context is, so you were saying you have a, Jerry has a check. Does he want me to pick it up? I'm meeting him in half an hour. We'll push it. So this would be about um, the remainder. I think this is the Richard Marsh stuff, isn't it? Yeah, basically, uh, I found Richard and, uh, okay, so I was supposed to get a drop of cash. The moment that I provided proof that I found them, I provided video evidence. I provided uh, the whole nine yards. I wouldn't give them location, but that wasn't called for. Uh, what was negotiated and agreed to was that uh, I would get my payment the moment I found him. And uh, once they gave me the warrants that they would get Richard, that's when they started to stall. But we had already pretty much figured by that time that, uh, that they were, they were trying to play a game with us. Right. Vinny, do I hear you? Okay. Vinny's still trying. I'm going to, I'm going to keep trying with Vinny. <laughs> I hope he gets on here. I hope Vinny he gets on too. Yeah, I know. Vinny Paz, you need to find a millennial, brother. I'm not trying to be a dick, but like, you know, your settings. It's a, it's about your settings. I don't know what kind of device you're on. If you could call David or David, if you could call him, that would be great. I'll mute you while you do it. Okay. Okay. You can try that. Okay. All right. So, um, Richard, when you read stuff like that and you know that you're the, I mean, we've talked about this before, but when you know that you're the subject of an actual manhunt, um, what is going through your mind reading about it? Like, I mean, you, you lived it, so it's a little bit different. But when you see the way they communicate, what is that like for you? Well, it's kind of mind-blowing how, um, 
how serious they were and how they kind of regard me as a dangerous enemy. I mean, I think in one case, there's a, a sort of a joint email between them saying, well, let's circle the wagons, guys, and see where we are, you know, as if they're sort of in their minds, they're these kind of Wild West posts chasing down some dangerous criminal. Um, I mean, it really is. It's the language of special forces, isn't it? The language of police homicide departments. Yeah, it's um, like they're ordering widgets, you know? Yeah. Like it's it's not, it, you know, they, they don't seem to have any, um, uh, you know, wherewithal when it comes to, you know, speaking to each other in a way where it treats human beings as if they're not human beings. And, yeah, and I find that I find that very strange to 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 see that to actually witness that, um, and the motive behind it obviously was because you blew the whistle in on on something in the United Kingdom that you're still kind of not really allowed to talk about, and so this is like a multi-continental hunt for you, and it ends up in the lap of David, who uh, I don't think we can hear anymore. Can we hear you, David? No, we can't hear you anymore. No. So um, I'm kicking you out and you can come back in. Um, so when, when you see that, when you, when you, when you see those words, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at that and if they're talking about me, I'm, I would be livid, you know, that I would be treated like I was just some sort of, you know, product that, that they're discussing. They're discussing fees. You know, when am I going to get the rest of the money to hunt down James? Like the, I would be for little, <laughs> When you yeah. see the evidence of it, that's what I mean. Yeah, it's a sort of language you'd use if you're hiring pest control to get a to get a raccoon out of your attic, isn't it? Yeah, um, it is exactly like that. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. You know, this was by the time I saw all this, the um, you know the crisis had passed. So, but if I'd been seeing it live, it would have been you know profoundly disturbing. And in fact, what I did see and experience was, was very, very disturbing, um, put it mildly. Uh, and particularly for my wife, who is, had, was just an innocent um, collateral damage in all this, because they were stalking her and hunting her down, following her through the streets, purely with the object of finding me, with absolutely no regard whatever for her own feelings or her safety or anything else i mean they, they just didn't care and and your your wife is first of all she's lovely um uh, i've met her she's super nice and she's um she's jamaican and they were using epithets when discussing her weren't they in some of these yeah, communications yeah. yeah brad mitchell referred to her as a coon that was oh yeah yeah and yeah. It's, it's, and and so david um do you remember before we got on the show my first rule was if you're going to use a phone just don't walk around with it so thanks for that. You're you're now frozen in time. Um, <clears throat> what, who I'm is good. Brad I'm, send Vinny another link. Send Vinny another link. Maybe that's that one. He's tried everything. So we think maybe the link's bad. Okay. Um, I don't think the link's bad, but it's going to be the exact same link. Um, I can email it to you. I just text it to Vinny to his number. It's the same link. It'll be the same link. It's not okay. Well, he says he's clicked it. He said he's clicked it. He's done everything. Open the settings on his phone. It's just not coming on. Okay. Well, listen, I'll try again. I'll email it to myself and then I'll get the email and then I'll text it to him. But it will be the same link. But in regards to Brad Mitchell, the very first Mm -hmm. time I spoke with him, that was the one thing that really struck me. 
um, after the buildup of, uh, you know, his religious credentials and, and this community that he was in that Joe Chapur gave me, um, Brad Mitchell's very first words to me after hello, um, when the name Dr. Karat Singh came up, and again, I'm going to uh, quote this man, Brad Mitchell, not my words, his. Oh, don't, wait, wait, wait. And, if it's the N-word, don't say that. Don't, don't no, say no, no, word. no. This was about uh, uh, Dr. Karat Singh. He used a racial slur. Uh, you know, basically the very first words out of his mouth was okay. uh, taken aback. Because okay, David, can you go back in the house and sit down? Okay. I had Max, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit annoyed. I had Maxine Bernier on last night and the audio sucked. And why did the audio suck? I should probably explain this to everybody. When guests use tablets or phones, it, the audio breaks in and out. It just, that's what happens with tablets and phones. It even happens a lot of time with headphones. At first I thought it was me, but I have Starlink now. And I don't know if any of you guys out there have Starlink. It is the greatest internet ever invented. It basically never goes out. It's faster than anything I can think of. And um, and it's great. It's it's the people that I interview are are just people without laptops. And for some reason, my software only allows people with laptops to have a seamless experience on the uh, on Blackball. Now let's get David back in, who's still walking around. David, I'm on the step. It's perfect on my end. There's absolutely no connection issues. Okay, don't move. Okay, please. You're pacing. I'm not moving. You're, you're doing the political fixer thing where you're mulling things over. You're ruminating. You know. Um, can you explain who Brad Mitchell is for everyone who doesn't know? Please. Uh, Brad Mitchell. Yeah. Uh, Brad Mitchell was introduced to me as a businessman who was part of a um, community. The words religious community were not used. They just introduced him as part of a community. Um, my first interactions with Brad Mitchell uh, came through an introduction by Gerald Chapur. Um, Brad Mitchell was uh, presented to me as a businessman who owned a uh, company called Klondike Lubricants. And uh, he would be my contact and liaison on the location of Richard Marsh on this job. So that's uh, what I knew of him at the time. Um, again, seemed uh, seemed odd from the start. Um, seemed to be very angry. And um, yeah, that was my introduction to Brad Mitchell. He also made an appearance here uh, at the 2011... Uh, this would be the uh, the victory speech for Stephen Harper when he won uh, in in 2011. That's Chuck Truen, Roy Taylor, Brad Mitchell, Ron Barnes, Ralph Mooney, uh, Richard. If I'm remembering correctly, all of them are members of the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, and all of them are American except for Brad, or is Brad That's Mitchell American true. as well? Chuck, Chuck Truen's from Detroit. He's American citizen. The rest are Canadian. Okay. Say that Ron. Um, Ron Barnes has now moved to Knoxville, Tennessee, but he is a Canadian citizen. Okay. Uh, Knoxville is a beautiful place. Um, too bad that he moved there. And now, and now a word from our sponsor, David Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone start chewing gum when he's done. It'll be great. Um, no, David, Brad Mitchell is uh, kind of a key figure in – the two stories that I've been working on, and I guess I wouldn't say I was working on the other story, but the story that I'm interested in, other than the Plymouth Brethren stuff, is the conservative leadership stuff, is the um, the seemingly 
you know, uh, sure thing that Pierre Polyev seems to have uh, as far as winning the leadership goes. Now, I want to do this in a way where I'm not going to get into legal trouble, but I, I well, it's probably, listen, I, I, I've already told many people, including other journalists, that when it comes to the Southern Christian Church, I am not really objective anymore. Like, I've just seen so much evidence that it's just really difficult for me to remain completely objective. That doesn't mean that I don't vet stories that come to me, because I do. But I'm not going, well, I, I wonder if there's a good argument for them not being a cult. I, that, you know, th- there's a, that's an impossible thing. So, therefore, I'm just, by definition, not objective. So what that leads me to, I, I end up having these ideas of like, how can I connect this call to Pierre Polyev, right? Because naturally, that's what I would want to do since I'm interested in that story. Now, it is not, a, there's no smoking gun evidence that Pierre Polyev is like down with the cult and is like really, woo, Plymouth Brethren, yeah, you're the greatest. There's none of that. But he's always sort of in the vicinity of things, right? So when Stephen Harper got elected in, in, in uh, 2006, and he swore what we believe is a Plymouth Bible. And we only believe that because it looks exactly like a Plymouth Brethren Bible. Um, and uh, we had a, uh, a, you got one in the mail, uh, Richard. Uh, you sent me the pictures. Uh, I, I'll go find them. Uh, but it is exactly the same. Like it looks exactly the same. So during that time, Pierre Polyev became the principal secretary at age 23 to Stephen Harper. So again, that is like that's like playing the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Chief, game. Chief so ball washer, right? I think that's allegedly that is an allegedly yeah, David Wallace probable. and David Wallace alone. Um, but the idea of of connecting Pierre Polyev is is going to be like a Kevin Bacon thing, like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Everyone's worked with someone who's worked with a uh, with Pierre Polyev, if you're a brethren or something like that. But Gerald Shapur has always been, to me, the key figure in all of this because he is the connecting tissue, again, between the party, the conservative party, and the conservative politicians and this cult. So, Gerald Shapur and Pierre Polyev, other than that whole rumor that they're like half-brothers or whatever that rumor is, who is Jonathan Dennis and how is Jonathan Dennis important to any of this story? I'll start with David. Jonathan Dennis is the former Solicitor General of Alberta. Also, quite possibly has the worst hair plugs in North America. That's just a personal observation. I, I, I don't know if he could sue me for that. And I don't even know if he's a lawyer still. Uh, but other than that, Jonathan Dennis is also a very good pal of Alan Hallman. Um, go figure. Um, they, they definitely are natural friends. Um, and I was introduced to Mr. Dennis by Alan Hallman, um, telling me that uh, he had some work for me. And, uh, and indeed he did. Um, as we've seen the results, um, it's been published. Uh, we know what type of work Mr. Dennis was asking me to perform. That's uh, already a matter of public record. And I don't need to bore anybody uh, by going over that again, I imagine. Suffice it to say that Mr. Dennis uh, um, and again, this is documented by email that they do not contest to be uh, legitimate and real. Um, Mr. Dennis was acting, asking me to perform uh, a job which would have required me to commit a crime. Uh, which was to hack the phone logs of a reporter. Yes. 
and um and actually that was uh that news broke what in the spring last spring something like absolutely. that absolutely okay and again i don't want to belabor it too much i just want to stick to the facts because uh, i don't want to get you sued i mean me personally all, right. all of them that can go pack sand but i will not say anything that's not factual and has not been vetted and documented on this show allegedly okay allegedly uh, I- I'm just going to say that every time you speak. Just, just I had to go ahead and name him Max Kid alleged, right? I mean, what the hell? Allegedly. Um, okay. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. But Jonathan Dennis, does he have... Now, I want to know if I've misheard this or if this is true. So Jonathan Dennis and Pierre Polyev are business partners or co-owners in some sort of property. What is that? Richard, are you aware of that? Yes, they were they were business partners in uh, some kind of political campaigning business um, back a while ago. Um, they did uh, sort of phone canvassing. Uh, and then they are currently joint owners on a rental property, I believe, in Calgary, Alberta. Okay. And the, again, that we're just playing the Kevin Bacon game. Um, this doesn't mean that Pierre Polyev is guilty of anything. Um, although it is, it is interesting just to see a lot of the kind of overlapping uh, circumstances that you would say of, of, of Pierre Polyev becoming the de facto benefactor of all things convoy. And I don't want to go down a convoy rabbit hole of where that money came from, David. So we'll just stop you right there. No, I mean, I don't have any, again, this is uh, unsubstantiated, but um, my first physical meeting when I got to Alberta with Jonathan Dennis was at a place called Original Joe's up in the uh, west side of Calgary. Uh, that evening, he said he was going to an event uh, for Pierre. And it was discussed between Mr. Dennis and myself, myself acting as a security uh, what would we call it an insurance policy and perhaps i would uh, be a good fit with pierre um, as he embarked on a run for the leadership basically if anything busted loose i never of course pursued that because everything broke loose but uh, that was a conversation that myself and uh, and uh, captain hairplugs had okay um captain hairplugs that's a that's a great uh, <laughs> that's a great moniker i guess um it would be weird if I said it, but I guess you can say it. You, you're like the guy that can say it. Jesus, look at that gorgeous mane of yours. My God. <laughs> you, you don't get like a, a homeless you, guy. You don't get a you don't get a shampoo sponsor at the end of all this, whatever this is. You know, I'm gonna be very disappointed in your skills as a uh, slick talker. Um, oh. you know. <laughs> I'm not too slick. I've turned myself into a financially well-off guy into a pariah. 
with all of my esteemed former clients. So let's I guess talk about we- that. Let's talk about that because I always say this shit off air and I think I want to try to explain it on air so that people understand exactly what I mean. Okay. And David, let me finish because I know you're going to say stuff like in the middle of it. Okay. So and stop walking around, please. Um, David, when, when stories have been pitched from the Klondike papers and just full disclosure on the Klondike papers, they aren't organized as, as well as they could be. Um, no offense to the person that organized them. <clears throat> but they're 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 just not uh, because that person that did it was just trying their best and they didn't really understand how the infrastructure of like journalism would work better if it was organized in a certain way and that would be by stories. So that's why a lot of editors across the country and reporters that I've talked to have said it's you know it it is a uh, it's a lot of work trying to like piece the story together because sometimes they don't know what story they're even looking for. Like someone would have to say to them, like, there's a Nahid Nenshi story in there. That's actually pretty good. That Ooh. hasn't been reported on yet. Um, I, I should have reported on a while ago. Maybe I'll commit to doing it next week or something. But it's all there. All the communications are there. Everything is there. And the thing is, is that editors and reporters, unless they know that there's a Nenshi story in there, they wouldn't know how to find it unless they just painstakingly read the entire document which almost nobody has time to do or more importantly has has money to pay for and so a lot of reporters that have beats that already exist are like i don't have time to assemble this jigsaw puzzle together on my downtime unless i'm getting paid and the editors don't want to pay because of two things one is that it's hard to vet some of the stuff and the most important one is the one that david really likes to hear a lot is that they question the credibility of one David Wallace. Now, wait a second, because here's the weird conundrum. And I was telling, um, I was telling Rob Kaviklin this off air before the show, is that I think that your existence, David, has created a glitch in the matrix of credibility as it pertains to journalism. And I'll tell you why. You have blown the whistle on shady events that happened that you were an integral part of. Therefore, it's almost a confessional. So they're like, I'm not sure if David Wallace is credible because he's done a lot of shady shit. And I'm just like, David Wallace is credible because he's confessing on the shady shit that he did with these other people. So I don't know if I'm just talking out my ass a lot right there or not, but I feel strongly about... Uh, knowing where to look in the Klondike papers to find a lot of the things that you've talked about that that are provable with these documents. And I do not accept the lack of credibility of David Wallace as a, as a good excuse for editors to not do their own due diligence and try to legitimize and find tertiary sources and do whatever they need to do. And I think that is a travesty. And, and, and one of the reasons why I think it's happening is because Gerald Shapur is the kind of high-profile attorney that he can call the law firm that represents whoever, the media company that wants to report a story. I don't know, but I know that he's high profile enough to make a phone call and whatever lawyer answers that call is like, oh my God, it's Jerry Chopin. Oh yeah, okay. And then gets off the phone and is like, yeah, we can't do any of that. I just got a call from Jerry Chopin. We got to kill all of it, okay? We do not need that law firm, you know, down our throats, blah, blah, blah. Listen, it's happened to me. It's happened to me when I worked for Post Media when I got that contract to do a story about a popular recently retired news anchor. And mm. 
and uh, Christy Blatchford, the late Christy Blatchford, rest in peace, love you. Um, she helped me with that story. She was the one that brought me to Post Media to do it because everything that we had collected up until then was legit evidence. And uh, as soon as I started digging, um, I called somebody and I guess the interview uh, went in a certain way where I didn't realize that this girl was going to immediately call the people that represented this news anchor who then called the Post Media lawyers. And because of who that person was, they immediately just cut the contract. It was Jamie Watt. He's not even a lawyer, but he's still one of those names, right? And so I get a phone call from Jordan Tim at National Post, and he's like, do you know who Jamie Watt is? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, I just got a call from Jamie Watt. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, you have to kill this story. And I'm like, why? He's like, because I just got a call from Jamie Watt. And he hung up. And I'm like, really? This is all it takes? So I have a sinking suspicion that Gerald Shapur is one of these people. Um, I do not have evidence that he's ever called anyone to say anything. But it is very interesting that not one media outlet, and by the way, these are not exactly outlets that are really friendly to conservative politics. I know a lot of people like to say they are. They are corporate conservatives on the board and how they handle business. They are at least centrists or mild progressives with the way that they report. In some cases at the CBC, they can be really progressive in how they report certain issues. So I don't, uh, you know, there there is a lot of people who believe that like there's a conservative bias in media reporting because of who they endorse and how many uh, newspapers are owned by Torstar versus Post Media versus whoever. Uh, you know, the editorials of most Canadian newspapers are not conservative. It's a, it's a, when you tell me that you can't uh, publish certain stories, you know, because of the credibility of the whistleblower who's whistleblowing basically on himself. Imagine that. Imagine, like, uh, I've, I've killed two people. I killed them in, in the subway back there. Oh, uh, yeah, you can't trust that guy. He's a murderer. Yeah, try murderer. turning yourself into the police station and say that, and they'll say, no, sorry. Yeah, there's you a know, Simpsons scene. Go. There, there's That'd a, be a brilliant there, way to get away with something, though, wouldn't it? There's a yeah. there's a scene in The Simpsons where um I just watched it with my kids yesterday or something, where uh, Homer walks in and he's and he's like, I'm telling you, there's a there's a guy, there's an alien in the woods, and 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 he just comes in, and he says, I'll give you peace, I'll give you love or whatever, and Wiggum is like, Oh, okay, well let me just move on to my invisible typewriter and I'll just type up that report, and then Homer leaves, and then another guy comes in, and he's he's got a lighter in his pocket. And he's like, uh, he's like, I just set a building on fire, and I'm going to do it again. And Wiggins is like, oh, let me just type that in my invisible typewriter. <laughs> so that's well, how the, I feel. The important, about the important thing is, I mean, people bring up a credibility issue. I think what's important to remember is that within these circles, the Gerald Chapors, the Alan Holmans, the Jonathan Dennis's, the Nathan Jacobsons, um, uh, the Michael Yurkovich's, and hundreds of others, which were in the Klondike papers, I had total credibility with those people who do have mainstream credibility. When they had a mess or a problem that they needed cleaned up, there was no one more credible in my business than me. I was the one who could do any job, not just slinging insults a la, uh, you know, uh, whatever people you have uh, on Twitter. I could go in, I could find people, I could change people's minds, I could do things, I could, I could literally bring their um, plans to fruition. So I had total credibility with these people that had been built up 
over a number of decades in my business. And the Day papers, Richard had them. He organized them. I have to say, I still do not have a copy of the Day papers. These were odds and ends that just got thrown into my machine. And literally, people don't know how to read them. It's not that they say they debunk them. They don't even understand what they're looking at. Case in point, when uh, the Patrick Brown whistleblower story came out, uh, Debbie, Joe, Joe Dorden, Joe Deedon, right away, that was in the Klondike papers and no one knew. No one knew. I called you up and said, hey, you might want to take a look at this because I had uh, had evidence that she had been a snitch on jobs and that we had recruited her for this one. It was yeah. uh, it's all in there. People just, instead of trying to, to shoot it down, not one reporter has, other than yourself and uh, to his credit, Jesse Brown and uh, Stephen Marr and a few others. But besides those individuals, nobody has taken the time to, to pick up the phone and said, okay, uh, explain something to me. That means unless the story was ready made, it didn't go anywhere. And no one yeah, asked. But that's, that's just the, the way, you know, the, it's, it's not like uh... – I don't, no one's really sitting there like spending a lot of time thinking about your credibility, but it is one of those fallback excuses for the fact that they, like if it was gift wrapped for them, they probably would have reported on it. Then why, you know, why are they being the report? Why don't I do the reporting? Why doesn't, I mean, here's the problem. I think it's a lack of initiative on our press and that's an indictment on our fifth estate. It's a lack of initiative. You're telling me that seasoned news people 30, 40 years ago would not have pursued this story doggedly. You have absolute tangible evidence that has been verified and vetted of, of money coming into Ontario from sanctioned individuals in, in from the Russian Federation. You have clear evidence of, of emails going back and forth about fraudulent affidavits. I mean, I'm sorry, but these are stories that needed to be pursued by mainstream journalism. And I think it's an indictment upon them that they didn't. And the excuse that it wasn't ready made for them. Well, then I'm sorry. I'm not the journalist. They are. It's their job. And if they can't make hides or tails of it, maybe they're in the wrong business. Listen, I'm not going to sit here and defend mainstream journalism. Um, they don't even let me in the lobby. So it's not like you want to be in their lobby. I used to, that's a very, you know, that's actually a really good point. I spent years trying to find ways in, trying to find to work with them freelance. And I did work with a couple of them freelance, uh, Post Media, Toronto Star, a couple of others, right? And it didn't interest me um, on a professional level in, or on a, at a, wor on a work level. It only interested me on a career level. And then one day I was just like, why am I begging these pigeons for crumbs? You know, like, you know that's what it felt like and it like because you know you try to grab a pigeon you can't that's what it was like me and jobs <laughs> i was trying to find jobs by grabbing pigeons and chickens and uh and then and then you don't know how freeing it is like when you wake up one day and you're just like i don't want to do that anymore and that was 2018 and i haven't uh not, that was the first story I, w I worked on as an independent like where i'm not going to bother trying to sell any stories and i tried to and look what happened i don't know if you recall but global uh, they, I contacted them on Sunday night on Monday morning. They're like, we're going to sign a contract with you on Thursday. Let's work together between now and Wednesday, wake up Thursday morning, did all this work, basically became her report. Um, and then, uh, when Thursday came and I, and I sent, and I'm like, okay, I'm ready for my contract. She's like, oh, I spoke with the producer and they're not gonna, you know, thanks for the work though, buddy. Thanks for coming out, you know? wouldn't give me a byline and then did the report all my work even my wording 
She didn't even have the decency to edit it. <coughs> Excuse me. So when it comes to <clears throat> mainstream outlets, you're you're with a lot. Of, you're dealing with first of all, you're dealing who are like they're hungry in the same way that be, uh, first first to third year stockbrokers are hungry. You know what I mean? Like they'll sell anything to anyone. Their moms they'll sell sub mortgage, some prime bullshit to their grandma if they if if they wanted to. And and reporters are like. You know, it's kind of cutthroat like that a lot of times. They use people like the way I used to be. People that will do work because they want to get a job and then they'll spit them out just before it's time to publish. And it ha it's happened to so many people that I know. So um, sorry about the little left turn with the media tangent, but this is part of the reason that we're the only ones that are really talking about it. It's, it's not because, and I know Justin Ling and others have, have really tried to paint myself and especially Dean Blundell he was on a podcast. Uh, he was on Ryan Jesperson, who I've had on Blackballed. And this was actually a while back. It was uh, it was like the day or two after Justin Ling was on our podcast. And he was pay he, he was saying that uh, this podcast and, and the Dean Blundell show was basically responsible for a left-wing version of QAnon. Which is such bullshit. I'm sorry to say this, but it's bullshit. Here's the problem. Justin Ling, I know for a fact, okay, through the contacts that I have at CSIS, through contacts I have at other intelligence agencies around this world, he was embedded in that convoy. He is what's known as a journalistic snitch. These Allegedly. people saying they're debunking it, they don't even know how to read the damn papers. I can put my record up against anybody, and I'm tired of hearing it. I'm tired of people saying that I put up a GoFundMe like that's some kind of smoking gun. 5500 bucks, and I can't work ever again? Doesn't sound like a hell of a deal. I used to make five, 10 grand in a phone call from these guys, okay? I did this for one simple reason. Richard, who can't mention the thing about <clears throat> Deprox or Deproxin, was a whistleblower by some scumbags in the UK named Fentiman who sent out, uh, they wanted to silence Richard. That's what this was all about. And he can't even mention it. He can't mention it because these guys are bucks up and they'll sue him or pursue him. But the truth was Richard stopped a lot of people from getting hurt by malfunctioning and defective medical equipment that was sold through the National Institute of Health over there, whatever the hell you want to call it, on a bent deal from the Plymouth Brethren. I know you don't want to get sued, and this is just my opinion. But the truth is, let's call a spade a spade. The Plymouth Brethren Christian Church is a criminal empire that is built up and uses the sweat equity of their slaves, which are also called members. That's all it is. This is organized crime, hiding behind religion and tax exempt status. So that's that's the truth. And that's Allegedly. just the way it is, whether people Allegedly. like it or not. That was the opinion of David Wallace and does not necessarily reflect the opinions of Blackballed or its subsidiaries that do not exist. OK, I'm tired of hiding behind weasel words and lawyers. Again, I'm speaking only for myself. Only the first for, for me. <laughs> you know what the funny thing is? I never hide behind weasel words or disclaimers. And that's usually my problem. <laughs> my problem is that I get the network into trouble. And so now this is like a first. Now I'm trying to be responsible. And listen, David, I can say that on a personal note, like the things that you talk about, I've seen the documentary evidence in the form of emails and texts. I know the context because of other emails and texts. I know because of uh, the credibility of Richard Marsh, who who co-signs a lot of the things that you have said, and I don't think it disagrees with much of the things you said. Some of the things that you said, though, that, that you say are are the only uh, known by you. 
And so it is difficult sometimes for us to be like, like of course we want to say, yeah, that sounds crazy. And when we're on the phone privately, I'm like, I'm riveted sometimes, but you know, unless there is a smoking gun component to the things that you say, even though I trust you when you say it, um, you know, that's just the bind that I'm in. You know, that's just, you know, that's, that's the problem when you undertake a criminal enterprise and make no mistake, Mr. Chapur, Mr. Dennis, Mr. Hallman, and the other individuals named in this, Mr. Mitchell, they undertook to commit crimes. So that's the problem we face. So he said, she said, because, well, that smoking gun evidence that everybody wants. Do I have a tape where they confess all their sins? No, of course not. But most people who are committing a crime probably don't uh, take the time to confess their sins and put it in writing so that the reporters and the journalists have a nice, neat package to run with. That's okay. just not life. Can you tell me about the affidavit? The affidavit yes. that, that they, that, and, and who prompted you to sign it? What did the affidavit say? And what was your issue with it? And then did you or did you not sign it? Go ahead. I got a call from Alan Hallman who said I had to give Gerald Chapor a call right away. So I gave uh, Jerry Barry a call. Jerry said that I needed to get down to a uh, Miller Thompson affiliate office. I believe it was Mississauga and swear out an affidavit. And I said, I ain't doing shit. I ain't swearing out no affidavit. I said, I know where the guy is. No, that's all. But he said he needed this. I said, okay, fine. So he kept sending me an affidavit, sending me it over and over and again. Over. He wanted me to add some words to it. I signed it, but I mean, Jerry, and you have the email chain. He sent it back and forth a half a dozen times. I went down. They presented it to me. I signed it, and away we go. Now, is that illegal? Absolutely. Um, number two, um, they told me that they already had warrants. Why they needed this affidavit, I had no idea, but that's when things started to smell in Denmark for me. That's when I started taking a deeper look into Richard Marsh and exactly who he was, and that's when I figured out that he was not a, uh, a criminal, that he was a whistleblower. Wasn't 100% sure, but I certainly realized that these guys were trying to sell me a bill of goods at that point. The, the affidavit, Gerald Chapur wrote it out, crafted it, sent it to me, at least a half dozen times. And then I went down and signed it. So whatever the, I, I still to this day have never read the affidavit. Yeah. Um, and that's a lawyer allegedly doing that. You know, that's the that's, best criminals <laughs> I ever knew all lawyers. Yeah. That's the funny thing, isn't it? Because uh, they also seem to be the most untouchable when it comes to these things. Like who, what better, what better occupation could you have if you were going to be the connecting tissue between a corrupt political party and a fucking psychotic corporatized Jesus worshiping cult, like what, what is the, and sorry, the, the, they're, they're more of Allegedly. Allegedly. You've got to James. Yeah. Yeah. Say they're allegedly. Bruce Hales Say allegedly. They're allegedly at the suckling at the teeth of Bruce Hales. Okay. So I'm just having some fun tonight. No, I know. I, figure I know. So am I, uh, hence teeth and suckling. Um, but the the idea that there could be any other occupation between these two corrupt allegedly um, groups, other than a lawyer, I can't think of anything except maybe a priest. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what my question is. But if anyone would like to talk about how um, lawyers are able to get away with this stuff, now is it is it more than reputational? You think, David? Do you think it's 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 more about? Um, 
just knowing the just having the fear of being litigated to death for most people is just so strong that they just get I think away that's with exactly what it is. I, I think you hit the nail right on the head. I think people look at the potential cost of a lawsuit and the uh, devastating effects that it could have on their personal life and decide, you know, these aren't bad people, but they decide that uh, not my war and they walk away. I mean, uh, not going to lie to you. I mean, that's something I thought about too, but when you know what the alternative is that if you do your job and you turn this man's location over that you most certainly he's going to need a bad end or at the very least be victimized and robbed, um, you don't really have a choice. Um, you know, it's going to suck. It's going to hurt. And boy, did it hurt because uh, these guys destroyed me. But you, at that point, you can't. There's no choice to make. You got to do the right thing. If, if Has there been any stories about any ex-brethren who have been hunted the way that you were hunted and then found and then handed over? Or like... Have you heard of anybody experiencing that? I'm just trying to see how common your situation was to what a lot of people go through. Well, I mean, up, I'm sure up, it's not up, too common, but uh, up till now, yeah, a lot of a lot of ex-brethren have been hunted down by PIs. But having found the guy, they then used legal means, uh, legal harassment, lawsuits, uh, and so on to bring them down. Like um, Gerald Shipper first came to the attention of the ex-Brethren community in around 2004 when he was used to hunt down, again with private investigators, a guy called Tim Twynham, um, who set up the original ex-Brethren website that was critical of the PBCC. And Gerald Chappell was their point man on that. They hunted this guy down using all sorts of unethical means. And eventually, Lee somehow managed to sue him for defamation and breach of copyright because he'd quoted a few lines of Brethren Ministry and basically legally cut the guy's tongue out. And he's, he doesn't, he's still there on Facebook, but he never, ever says anything about the Brethren. Uh, there's another guy um, in Scotland. They did exactly the same thing too, and he's had his tongue cut out. He's still there, never says anything about the Brethren. I would be so broke because I just would not stop talking. Yeah, me, yeah. me too. Like this, fuck you, brethren. And Hales fuck. I think they realized that they had run out of legal options because it was very hard for them to pin me down legally, basically, because there was nothing to pin me down on. And in any case, I had no resources. I had no money for them to take. Um, they also probably knew that regardless of what they did to me, I wasn't going to shut up because that's my nature. Um, and so I like they that about decided you. to take the law into their own hands. Uh, and I think the connection between these two stories we're talking about tonight, the Chuck Zito, Vinnie Paz story and the Gerald Chappell story is that if the brethren are happy to hire, as we know they are, someone like, Chuck Zito, I don't know if you've got a photo of the guy, but I mean, he's a, he's an ex-Hell's Angel boss. Yeah, Hell's um, Angels and a guy named the Pasmanian Devil. This is yeah, what men of God yeah. do. I mean, every day. Yeah. <laughs> the brethren are quite happy. And in fact, specifically, Brad Mitchell is quite happy to hire these guys. Then that gives you a pretty good idea of what they would have done to me if they'd found me. Well, they're Italian, too. So that always makes me defend them blindly. They're, they seem like all right, guys. 
<laughs> well, those two gentlemen who, who people might say have, uh, you know, not Vinny, but might say have a uh, uh, unorthodox reputation. They were the first people to tell this guy, Mitchell, what you're suggesting is nuts and you need to hire a lawyer. I mean, think about this. You have a former five-time boxing champion of the world, great guy, Vinny, and Chuck Zito, former sergeant-at-arms, and they're telling a lawyer. They have to tell a lawyer, a, a Queen's uh, uh, counsel, basically, that, guys, um, you need to, to do, handle this legally. So what does that tell you about the character of the individuals we're talking about here when, when Vinny and Chuck had, took great pains to say, you guys are nuts, you're psychotic, you need to do this legally? I mean, if they're the moral conscience on this, then what does that say about Mr. Brad Mitchell or Mr. Gerald Chapor? Putting that out yeah. there. Well, yeah. it's, it's like anything else. It's like, you know, people who are fancy themselves as powerful try to get people who are dispensable to do their dirty work, right? And except, Vinny, they, except so, Vinny and Chuck are men of honor. So, I mean, they right, would so never do something so ridiculous. Here's Chuck. Um, I don't think I would fuck with him just because he's the only part of the mustache he doesn't have is the Hitler part. And that is just fucking weird. <laughs> he's like so anti Hitler that he's like, I'm not even going to cover my lip in that area. So that's kind of funny. Great guy. Um, great guy. Vinny, Vinny speaks nothing but uh, uh, tremendous. But that, things was Chuck, about Chuck. that was Chuck though, right? Yeah, that's yeah. Chuck and Vinny as Vinny yeah. has a, a much closer friendship. Uh, with Chuck Zito and Chuck, the, the times that I spoke with him, he seemed like a tremendously respectful man. And like you said, he talked a lot of common sense to Mitchell, at least he attempted to. And he, he took the time to say, these are, these are things that you need to handle legally through a process. You can't have people rolling up on other people's places of business. You know, it's, it's not how things are done. I mean, when Chuck offered to actually have a conversation with the gentleman, a professional guy, Mitchell wouldn't have anything of it. He wanted an intimidating conversation. And, and both Vinny and Chuck told these guys, look, you need to hire a lawyer. You need to do your business properly. So, I mean, uh, they were stand-up guys. Yeah. I just texted, <clears throat> excuse me, I just texted Vinny Pazienza uh, one last time to see if he can just sort of make it because we're, we're, running, we're running a little bit late. I think there's another show on the docket, so I'm going to want to – Get off well, we're running a little late. I wanted to, to bust one thing. When Vinny was on here after that, and we wanted to announce uh, recently, uh, Jake Paul and Rick Ross, the music impresario, have been throwing out challenges. Rapper. To, uh, Rick Ross, to, the rapper. So, so Rick Ross, the rapper, wants to yes. finance a purse between Vinny Pazienza and who? Well, I'm throwing up Vinny's name. I spoke with Vinny. He was a dear friend of mine, and uh, they might say Vinny's too old. He's retired. And, and I'll tell you one thing. Uh, if they wanted to wait another five, 10 years, then, then, then Vinny might be too old. He'd probably still put him in the hospital. But if uh, Mr. Jake Paul wants to have a real fight, uh, perhaps uh, he would uh, pick up the phone and, and give us a call because Vinny Pazienza would love to fight him. Uh, he names the time, place, and date. But uh, if Mr. Ross would like to put up $10 million, Vinny Pazienza would be more than happy to uh, send Jake uh, Paul packing back to YouTube. So, uh, hey, guys, uh, would be a lot of fun. Why don't you give us a call and uh, see yeah. what happens? Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll broadcast the fight live on Blackball. We'll do the whole night. Um, no, Vinny passed five times. Listen, pound for pound, 
there there are not too many boxers in boxing history that are as tough as Vinny Pazienza. Um, oh, you broke his hard. neck and came back and became a champion, right? Like, he did indeed. He did indeed. He's, I saw him fight and win the title uh, against the gentleman. His last name was Delay, really talented junior middleweight, probably the best fight of his life. And uh, mm. right afterwards, he, he got into a terrible car wreck and broke his neck, and they said he'd never walk again, let alone fight. And like There you go. Later. He went on to win several more world titles, fight Roberto Duran a couple of times, and yeah. emerged victorious both times. So – Hell of a man, hell of a career. Him and uh, and, and it's funny because I, I I talked to uh, Tom Doyle and George Chavallo's kid uh, as well because they were on the podcast and they um, we're gonna try to do a George Chavallo uh, m- uh, like an appreciation, like a celebration kind of show. You know what I mean? Uh, a tribute uh, because he you know he's he has very bad Alzheimer's. He's you know. People are kind of surprised. Some people that he's been around that he's that he's lasted this long. What a wonderful man he is, too. Yeah, totally. And when I talked to um, when I talked to his son about it, and Tom Doyle was like his right hand man, sort of thing. Um, You know, his 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 lead entourage guy, but he handled everything for George, kind of thing. And you know, Mike Tyson went to see him at the uh, at the funeral home. Lennox Lewis is going to be on the podcast on that day when we have the tribute for him. We were going to do it like in Canada Day, but it was too hard to get together really quickly. So now we're aiming for like September 12th or or 13th because that's the weekend of his birthday, uh, George Chavala's birthday. So we're going to try to get a lineup of guys in here. Uh, Got to talk to, to Vinny talk. about Larry Holmes. Larry and Vinny are extremely yeah. close. And Larry, I know, respects George Chavala tremendously. And uh, George Chavala, what a hell of a great guy. What a, what a, what a wonderful career he had afterwards educating people on depression. Oh, yeah. Suicide prevention, just the treasure that that man has experienced. A treasure, treasure. Um, Listen, I'm going to end it there because I think there's a show waiting in the wings. Um, But uh, I'm glad. I'm glad we. This is more of a casual discussion more than anything else. Um, I would like to remind all of the uh, lawyers out there that the expressed opinions of David Wallace were all David Wallace's opinions, and I agree with some of them. And I'm not going to tell you which ones I agree with, so you can't fucking include me in your lawsuits. You exactly. You can sue me, Jerry. Jerry Berry and, and hair plugs. Uh, yeah. Send me a lawsuit. You Send me a lawsuit. Me. I need toilet paper. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, you can sue me too. And Jerry, me. Jerry, if you're listening, lay lay off the uh, lay off the sweets. You're, you're getting fat there. Okay. There. <laughs> you know. You know what? I'm going to tell you this, David, because I told a couple other people, but I, I thought it was funny. I might have told you. When I was staying in that house in uh, Cremore, when I was uh, working on the book and I was broadcasting from there, um, and that car came a couple times, and I was, I was a little worried, so I'd go, I'd go out on the balcony to like smoke a joint or whatever. And if I heard a snapping of a twig in the distance, which could have just been like a coyote or a deer or something like that, I literally said this like at least eight or nine times. The man you're looking for is David Wallace. Yeah, they can come and find me. Like there's eight in the clip and one in the pipe. Come and see me. I swear to God, I'd be more than happy to send you back to Jesus piece by piece. I know that's that's why it was a winner. That's why I said it because I was like, I honestly don't think David Wallace would mind if I said this. And in this moment, makes me feel a little bit safer. Not gonna lie. (laughs) Yeah, well, if Alan Holman or Gerald Chapur had anything to do with the goons that would come. They'd probably be. Uh, they'd probably miss your your fucking neighborhood. They'd be drunk. They they wouldn't. They'd do a shit job. Let's put it that way. All right. Well, gentlemen, it was nice to have you on again. Um, 
and uh, we'll see you again soon. Uh, it didn't go uh, as organized as I would like, but I think I like this better because uh, who wants to talk about Gerald Shapur for an hour? <laughs> Not even his wife. I mean, come right. on. His, see, all he wants to do is sit at home by himself, pinching his chubby little flanks and thinking that he keeps on getting away with shit. So that's, uh, and he does keep on getting away with things. He, he does, really does. does I know. Uh, all right, guys. It is what it David is. Wallace, what can you do? David Wallace, Richard Marsh, thank you very much, guys. I'll give you a call sometime soon. Okay. Always a pleasure. Bye, Richard. Goodbye. Those I don't know what that means. Um, okay. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, Vinny Paz was here for a couple minutes. We couldn't get his sound to work. I'm a little bit happier with the audio tonight. Um, it's been a real thorn in my side. Uh, a source of stress for me when I get tweets and emails sent to me saying, I like your show, but the fucking audio sucks. You guys are right. My audio is usually okay. Uh, I could probably use to get a better mic or whatever. But my guests, and please keep in mind that my guests, for the most part, are people who were like churning butter until like 10 years ago. <laughs> Okay. And I'm not trying to make fun of them. I'm just saying they're salt of the earth people. They, you know, they're not really like technologically advanced, right? Because they, they did spend a lot of time thinking that the radio was a direct line to the devil himself. So when the Prince of Darkness is thwarting you from learning tech, I can't really expect you to have like your podcast broadcasting shit in place. But holy fuck, it doesn't make for, for a lot of bad audios. And then the last one was Maxime Bernier. Um, yesterday, same idea. You know, you can't use tablets and you can't use phones for the most part. It depends on what phone it is. But, um, and that's, that's really my audio problem, everybody. So I apologize for that. Uh, tomorrow, tomorrow on Black Bolt, Eric Alper, music publicist extraordinaire will be joining us. And then on September 6th, Fuck, are we the first? Um, September 6th, which is a Tuesday, I believe. I will be joined by Canadian rapper. And I would call kind of a living legend, to be perfectly honest with you. Classified will be on the show. And then on the 8th of September, I have Cream Asad. I will fill in those other dates, uh, the 5th and the 7th and the 9th. I just don't know with whom yet. Um, shout out to Vinny Paz. I'm really sorry that you couldn't get on the show, but we're going to, I just got a text and we're going to try to have him on again. Uh, so sorry about the false advertising up there. He was on, you saw the square. It had his name. No Vinny Paz, but that's okay. And to everyone in the chat, I looked for a second. Uh, things seem to be going well. <laughs> and I'm really happy that you guys were here once again to watch. I will now speak slowly as to give myself enough time to go to my desktop and grab the outro for Black Belt. Thank you for watching. Black 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 Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. 
Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.